Good afternoon, and welcome to Association Rockstars, where we get to have the chance to hear about the journey and insights of amazing association executives and partners who are building the association industry of tomorrow. My name is Lowell Applebaum, the CEO of Vistacova, where we partner with organizations on strategy, vision, and governance. And it's my absolute pleasure to have with me today, Mary Byers, CAE, CSP. She's the author of Race for Relevance, Five Radical Changes for Associations, as well as Road to Relevance, Five Strategies for Competitive Associations. Mary is a former association executive, now is a consultant, professional speaker, and association advisor. She's a skilled retreat architect and helps groups gain clarity and focus through leadership conference training, board orientations, and generative discussion facilitation. Mary coaches association CEOs and board chairs and leads CEO mastermind groups. We are happy and honored to have you with us today. Lowell, I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for the invitation. Well, it's always fun when we get to spend time together. Our conversations are always interesting, so it's fun to share it with others. Agreed. So at the start of uh, Association Rockstars each time, we spend a moment uh, asking our honored guests as they think about their journey so far and the core strengths that has let them succeed on that journey. What is one of the sort of core strengths, we call the superpower, uh, that you think has helped you really shine uh, in your professional path? This is a superpower that I was not born with, but I have worked really hard to cultivate over the years. And that is, uh, it's actually a dual superpower. It's the ability to ask good questions, mm -hmm. and then even more importantly, to listen to the answers. Because if you ask a question and you don't listen to the answer, what's the point of asking to begin with? But it has helped me on my journey because I work with so many different clients and they all have such unique culture and tradition and history. And it would be a mistake for me to just assume that all associations are alike and a mistake for me not to do my due diligence before I go into an engagement. So it's the asking and listening that are my superpower. Do you find that as you think about your journey, right? Asking and listening can be such a powerful learning method as well as method to help others learn. Something you were born with, was it something that you recognized early on? Did you actually like learn how to do it better along the way? Like oh, how's absolutely. that been part of your journey? I've paid very careful attention to when I'm doing it well, when I'm not. Uh, I've done some research around how to cultivate listening skills, how to be a better listener, how to think intentionally while you're listening to somebody, you know, so we don't zone out, which we have a tendency to do. Our attention spans have gotten shorter and shorter. And as that's happening, I have to be more and more mindful uh, that I'm that I'm applying my listening yeah. skills. Do you feel like over the, especially the course of the past year or two, uh, during a time where we've perhaps been a bit more virtual in isolation from your work with many organizations, have you found, particularly at the executive level, that questioning and listening is something that has shown, something that has diminished? Like, how has this more virtual environment impacted executives' ability to use meaningful questions and listen? Well, one thing I think has helped actually is now we're not just doing audio conversations. And so I think it's actually a little easier to build trust with people when you can actually see them. So whereas I used to just do old fashioned telephone calls now when I am interviewing either CEOs or the board that they lead with, I can actually introduce myself uh, via video. And I think it leads to deeper conversations and a higher comfort level just right off the bat, because not only can we hear each other, but now we can see each other as well. 
Do you think there are ways that organizations are leveraging that as a larger organization to build trust with their members, with their communities? They should be. And I believe that one of the changes we're going to see post-pandemic is we're going to see both in-person and virtual board meetings and committee meetings because we've seen how convenient, time-saving, money-saving they are. The hard part is, is that if you have too many people in the room, it is hard to build trust quickly. And so I really encourage groups, especially if they're onboarding new board members to be using the breakout rooms. That's one of the great things about the virtual environment is we have the ability to break into smaller groups and we absolutely have to be doing that, not only to build trust, but uh, frankly, to build consensus more quickly. If you've got 30 people on a call, it's not possible for everybody to talk or they're talking so infrequently they disengage. But if you put people in a breakout room together in groups of five to seven, then everybody can be more engaged. And actually, you can have more people talking. If you've got five groups, you've got five people talking at a time. And so I think that's going to be one of the gifts in this pandemic, as I like to call it. <laughs> I, uh, I like the framing of it. I think it speaks to many of the feelings that we have about it. I think uh, so, too. The breakout rooms is a great idea for forming more intimate conversations as you've seen organizations succeed in onboarding new board members, particularly as right, it's a whole new life cycle where the traditional ways of bringing everyone together that perhaps that's gonna be a little different. Have you seen any other uh, best practices or amazing examples of where they've been able to have new board members come on and feel a part of the team or better prepared even without those traditional methodologies? Some boards use board buddies. And I think that's a really good idea, especially if you're onboarding in a virtual environment. But, but even if you're not, because a new board member has a lot of history to get caught up on quickly and they need to familiarize themselves with the hot topics, the challenges facing the profession or trade, and having a board buddy that they can call before a board meeting to ask for some information or background or to ask questions, I think actually speeds up the process of onboarding and helps board members be ready to go confidently more quickly. Uh, I know yeah. that you and I both hear from volunteers that it took them a whole year to figure out exactly what they were doing and what their responsibilities were. And I think anything that we do that can help speed that along or shorten that learning curve is a good one. I like it. Uh, I like it also for the camaraderie and that informal aspect as well. It's always nice to have someone to sit next to you at lunch, you know, that's sitting next to them at a virtual lunch. Absolutely. And, it, and if you think about you and I both know board yeah. members that have not had a, the, the ability to attend an in-person meeting. So uh, in, for some associations now, we're at the point where they have onboarded two new board classes and nobody, they have not, of the new ones, they haven't had a chance to meet their colleagues in person and, and sit eyeball to eyeball and elbow to elbow. And I know they are anxious to do that. Have you found what organizations need, and then I'll probably bring it to CEOs after, but have you found what organizations need in terms of leadership qualities and competencies have shifted during this time? You know, Lowell, we were in the process of uh, needing to reskill prior to the pandemic. I was seeing that the environment was getting more complex. We needed a high level strategy, yeah. uh, skills that sometimes were already on staff and a lot of times not. There is a move toward hiring non-association professional CEOs. So we're bringing 
people in from the for-profit community because they have some skills that are missing. So this whole need to reskill had started prior to the pandemic. I do think that the pandemic may have accelerated it. And I think it's one of the critical things that we need to be thinking about in the association space. If you are a CEO, what skills don't you have that you need? But also if you're an association professional, I think every one of us needs to be asking what do I need to do to stay relevant personally? What right. skills do I need to get? Where can I get them? And, and to develop our own personal learning roadmaps so that we're not waiting reactively for somebody to come say, you need to learn to do this. But mm. anything that you learn or any skill you develop is something that you're going to take with you and it's going to remain with you. So it shouldn't be something that you do because you have to. Yeah. It should be something that you do because you want to be vibrant and contributing and relevant. Uh, I love the image that you want to be vibrant, right? Like a shine, a beacon, that's beautiful. Uh, what's on your learning roadmap, right? Like is what, what are you consistently interested in like at this moment, like what are you looking to learn about? So I'm always interested in organizational dynamics. I'm interested in con uh, conversations and consensus building and how to make those tools better. Uh, I get a lot of my learning through reading. I'm a consummate reader. I've always got a book going. I've always got one with me when I'm traveling. But I, I also have some fun things on that, that roadmap. I took an improv class a couple of years ago, and I would love to get back and take another one uh, because, you know, as consultants, we're thinking on our feet constantly. Yeah. And I love the first rule of improv, which is yes, and instead of uh, yes, but. Yes. Uh, so that, that was a fun thing that I was doing that actually had implications for me uh, professionally. And I think that's true of anything that we learn. I think there's, there's more implications than just in our personal life or our professional life. I think there's blending. Do you find that uh, this past period in particular, that the yes and concept you know, so much of uh, what we hear is that there's less time, even though the hours in the day hasn't haven't expanded. Right. How do you find yes and when it comes to an organizational context? Uh, you know, are organizations focusing more? Are they getting better at saying no to things? Is it a yes and focus? Like, how do you apply that? So the, the yes and I believe needs to be used in innovation. Mm and opening our minds, helping us be more flexible. I don't think it should be used necessarily to add programs and services, because if we just keep adding and adding and adding, uh, you know, uh, Mary Loverdi says, if you add and add and add in, uh, in mathematics, you get infinity. If you add and add and add in life, you get insanity. And, you know, that's what a lot of association professionals are dealing with. We just yeah. keep programs and services, but we don't always add the necessary resources that they need, whether those are human resources or financial resources. And then we get clutter from yeah. programs. And we have a lot of mediocre programs rather than a lot of excellent programs. And, you know, Lowell, I know that your work is about helping prioritize as, as well, too. So I'm sure yeah. that you see this also. I, I do. The, uh, you know, places of self-realization are sometimes difficult for organizations to see, right? And so programs that have existed a long time uh, that may have been high value and now are places of solid mediocrity, uh, hard to jettison, 
especially as we both work with leaders, right? Hard that uh, a leader feels like it's on their watch that the program got sent away and the loss of that. Uh, it's definitely hard. You know, maybe another gift of the pandemic, and that was one of the things that I decided at the very beginning was, you know, recognizing that this was, uh, you know, a worldwide catastrophe and there was going to be so much loss and so mm. much stress to, to not get overwhelmed by that. I promised myself that one of the things I would do would be to identify and articulate gifts in the pandemic. And I do think that one of the gifts was when it became clear that this was not business as usual, but it was going to be business as unusual, uh, associations got really good really quick at focusing on their core programs and services and putting resources there and letting some other programs and services either go by the wayside, languish, or you know get put in a parking lot for a short period of time. So if there's a gift, I yeah. think pandemic help us purposely abandon some things that maybe didn't hold as much value. And my fear, quite honestly, is that when, when we get to the other side, the desire to go back is going to be really strong and we're going to miss this opportunity yeah. to actually rethink and rationalize our programs and services. It, it feels like we're at that, like near in this liminal period between, between chapters, whatever this story is, where the malleability that we had for innovation forced is starting to calcify a bit. Uh, are you seeing in your work either through through your uh, your update book, through the, the new book, or through your consulting work? Uh, are you seeing organizations that are good examples of what it means to like learn from this period of rapid innovation and adopt those new practices, or is it really just a bunch of backsliding uh, because that's what we're comfortable with? I'm seeing a little bit of both. There are organizations that had strategy in place and they decided that they were going to keep their foot on the gas and they were going to keep focused on that strategy. Most of those were organizations that were financially healthy yeah. and didn't have some of the same concerns as, a, as an organization in a different situation. I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that you probably saw a fair number of associations that really had to batten down the hatches. They had to make some uh, staffing changes, whether those were permanent or through furloughs. Some of them have made adjustments in staff salaries. They've suspended programs. So I, I, I saw both. I hope, though, that we're getting to the point where CEOs and staffers and leaders are more proactive and thinking more about a go-forward strategy yeah. rather just wishing for yesterday, because I, I still hear volunteer leaders say, I can't wait until we can go back. And I think that would be a mistake. It would be, it would be wasting this entire 18 to 24 months if, if all we want to do is go back rather than go forward. Well, flux capacitor, time machine of your choice. Uh, unless you have it, you can. You know, I, uh, I have to ask your, your work, your books has been so seminal for the industry, but Earlier on, you were also an association executive. Can you give us a, a sort of a, a short narrative of your journey from executive to the side of consultant and working with so many organizations? What had what was like the journey like? Why did you make the decision? Like a, a little bit, we'd love to hear about it. Well, I was very lucky, Lowell. In my second association staffer job, I had a wonderful mentor and boss named Bob Reckner. And I had no idea 
how well run the association I worked for was until I got away from it. And so what was normal to me and usual to me really were what was modeled for me was best practices well mm. along the line. So I consider myself very, very lucky. After that uh, position, I decided to uh, take just a smidge of time off when my second child was born and groups started calling me and asking me to present at their leadership conferences to help facilitate strategic planning retreats. Uh, I actually met Harrison Kerber when he did a retreat for the one of the associations I work for. So that's how that seed was planted. And then I, as I had groups calling me and asking me to help them with their leadership development, I saw an opportunity to make an impact in the association arena from a different vantage point. So yeah. I actually thought I would work for associations for my entire career, and that's just not how it happened. And I consider myself lucky, though, that some of my early mentors helped me see what was possible in terms of best practices and running a healthy organization. Well, clearly, what you learned during that time served as such a solid foundation from you know, the wisdom you and Harrison's been able to share with the industry over the years and in this latest iteration. Uh, time goes by quickly, always in these conversations and certainly between us. And so uh, I would just ask as we start to wrap up, you know, from all those foundational pieces as you project to the future, what do you hope is the legacy that you leave behind in the association industry? What do you hope that the market is? In the association industry specifically, I hope that people I've touched will question everything. The only way that we're gonna make changes and continue to evolve in a healthy way is if we are questioning everything. We know that complacency leads to irrelevance. And that is really, I believe that the way we don't become complacent is by asking questions. On a personal level though, Lowell, and this goes back to the first question you asked me, on a personal level, I really hope that the people that I come in contact with, whether they are family, friends, neighbors, or clients, I hope that the people that I have interfaced with will really feel that I saw them and I heard them and I understood them because I believe the very best gift we can give to other human beings is our time and our attention. And that's why I've worked so hard at developing my listening skills. There have been places in my life where I haven't done that so well. Yeah. And uh, I regret that. And so it's, it's a focus and a priority for me now. Well, thank you for uh, giving us your time and attention today. Uh, always, always a pleasure to speak with you to hear a little bit more of the journey. Uh, really bright, brightens the day as well as hopefully inspires all those that are watching as well. Thank you. Appreciate that, Lil. Thank you. And I appreciate the work you're doing for associations as well. Thank you. And we also appreciate Amy Hager, who's there talking to you on Facebook. And we appreciate everyone who tunes in. Uh, our, our Association Rockstars community is only as strong as the community itself. And so thanks for all of your input and for joining us each and every time. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Associations rock on.